My name is Stuart Scheller. I'm a former Lieutenant Colonel in the United States Marine Corps. I was an infantry officer for 17 years, and I've done a lot of things. Been on five deployments, been to Iraq, been to Afghanistan, served in many different capacities. And I jumped into the media spotlight when I challenged the Afghanistan withdrawal. And I'm excited to be on the Medal of Honor podcast. And over to you, Tiff. In the Army, we call them battle buddies. Don't know if you do the same thing in the Marine Corps, but your fellow Marine that was hit by a suicide bomb, did he end up surviving that? Yeah, good question. So he was a platoon commander. He responded to a sniper threat in a suicide vest. A guy with a suicide vest on ran out of a building, detonated it. He killed a Marine and he blew up my buddy. My buddy lost his leg actually below the knee. And he was rushed to Germany and then to Walter Reed. And if you fast forward like five months later, when we got home from deployment, I was one of the first people that visited him in Walter Reed. Dave actually came and testified at my court martial. I went to his wedding. I mean, we're, we were close. And Dave must have undergone over 100 surgeries. And even a year later, they went and took it above the knee. He had probably 100 ball bearings in his body that had to work their ways Wait. out. He would hit a clostomy bag outside of his body. I mean, he was, he was in bad shape. But Dave is just like a success story. So two years later, after he had healed and had the prosthetic and worked his way back out, he actually remained in the Marine Corps and deployed to Afghanistan twice as a company commander and as a general's aide. And then he ended up medically retiring as a major. So he was always kind of an inspiration to me of someone that loved the Marine Corps and wanted to deploy again, even after a situation like that. That's amazing. I think it's great to have people like that in our lives, whether it's personally, professionally, or both, that we can look up to who display that that grit to push forward no matter what, because they really are an inspiration. Hi, this is Sia, co-host at Innovation Calling Podcast here. I want to extend my gratefulness to all the men and women who have served our country. We've had the honor to highlight some amazing military leaders and learn how they've applied their experiences in civilian professional life. I'd like to give a shout out to retired Brigadier General Robert Spaulding on how the U.S. can be more innovative for the future of telco, and Jim Murph Murphy, founder of Afterburner, on using continuous business improvement through flawless execution. It's that kind of discipline and constant drive to be better that I see in most veterans. And let's be honest, from a business perspective, it is most profoundly appreciated. So thank you for your time, your sacrifice, and love for our country. Keep on being you and proudly pursue your dreams. You've got this. And thanks again. This is where it's at. The first question I'd want to ask you is one that I think many who have worn the uniform would want to know. And that is, prior to you taking 
this issue to social media, did you take it to your chain of command? If so, what was their response? No, prior to that, I didn't address it through the formal chain of command. I thought about it. I calculated that had I gone through the formal chain of command, that I would have never gotten the public conversation and discussion that I wanted. There were multiple times after the fact where I requested mass, I requested redress, formal processes, tried to prefer charges. So on like five different forums after the fact, I tried to go through the formal chains of command and they were all denied for various reasons. So I look at those as examples of thinking you can go through the system doesn't always work the way you think it will. And Mm -hmm. I knew going into this that it would probably work out like that. So this was important to me. And I decided to just make the statement publicly right off the bat. I imagine with 17 years of service in the Marine Corps, you've seen a lot of things that went wrong or were approached in a way that maybe you thought could have been done better or navigated in a better way. Did you ever address any of those issues? And if not, what was it about this one that made you say, you know what, enough is enough. I'm going to speak out on this because somebody's got to might as well be me. I mean, there is, I mean, the whole point of my endeavor was to illustrate a two tiered system of accountability that needs to be addressed. It's something that has always been there, but it probably wasn't as evident to me until later in my career. And so when I got to a point where I felt like it needed to be addressed, I addressed it. Here's another question too, along the along those lines of addressing stuff, because I'm a firm believer why the rest of us in uniform don't do this, I don't know, but I am a firm believer that when you see something wrong, address it. Like it doesn't matter what the person's rank is. You see an issue, you address it, you fix it, and you move on. There in 17 years, were there other issues that that you addressed? And you're glad you addressed it. And then other, maybe other things that came up that you did not address and wish you had. I mean, anyone that's ever had any type of job understands that you can't just tell your boss that he's fucked up all the time. Right. So anyone that has a boss understands that it's a emotional intelligence game where you have to understand, you know, every boss has said, I want honest feedback. Every single one, every single time. Well, what does that mean to you, sir? It means different things to every single person, even though they all say the same thing. So you can give them honest feedback up to a point, but then there's a point where you have to read their face, read their emotions, read their reactions and realize you've gone too far. So your question was, why do people give honest feedback all the time? Well, if you give honest feedback all the time and you turn into a pain in the ass and then you get a poor fitness report or evaluation, then you're not going to continue playing the game. So the people that go deep in the game are the ones that may give honest feedback, but it's up to a point where they're emotionally intelligent enough to back off. And quite honestly, that's probably the problem with our system now. Our senior general officers are all very smart, but they also are very emotionally intelligent enough to know how to navigate the system. 
And navigating the system effectively does not necessarily mean you're being honest or necessarily the best person. But that's not unique to the military. That happens in every corporate job as well. The problem with the military is the people that are running it. In the military, you can't bring someone in from an outside agency, right? So in the corporate world, I could bring a CEO from another company anywhere else and just adjacently move them in. In the military, you're limited to the inventory that you have. And when you have people that maybe don't reflect the best values of what you want, but are really good at navigating their career, those are the people that end up at the top. And I don't know if those are necessarily the people that win wars all the time. You and I have both served a good chunk of our adulthood in the military, and we're both now out. Looking back on that time in the military, what is it that you would do that, or what is it that you think you can do to solve that problem? Somebody just asked me this on like a live interview, a deep question, like, how do you change it? I mean, that's not a a simple problem, right? Right. I think the first answer is what my initial message was. You have to hold senior leaders accountable when they fail. Holding people accountable when they fail causes other people adjacent to them to recognize that they can't also repeat the same failures. If you don't hold them accountable for failure, then people just become complacent and try and do things, make decisions based on I, I want to do enough to maintain my career, but I don't need to necessarily win because if I, you know, even if I fail in terms of the tactics or strategy of whatever the mission is, I'm not going to get fired over that. But if I have some sexual assault or a bad command climate, then I will get fired, right? So people ultimately, their actions are determined by what they understand is going to hold them accountable. And so our senior leaders now have looked to the right and left and figured out they don't get fired for failing wars. They get fired for all these other things that may not be the most important thing. Unfortunately, that's something that occurs quite frequently, like all the time, quite frequently, that there's two different tiers of accountability and correcting things that are wrong. It's as if there's a mindset that says, how can I best navigate through this so that it's it serves me to the best of my ability? What can I do to make it look like I'm fixing a problem and I may fix a problem, but really I'm using it as a stepping stool to get to the next rank or the next level, a better rating, whatever the case may be. I would think that people would do what's right because it's the right thing to do. But because we're people, we have things in place. Like each branch has their own code of, not code of conduct, but each branch has its set of values and vision. Uh, the Air Force, their vision is to serve with a commitment to the three core values and those three core values uh, are integrity first, service before self, and excellence in all we do. The Navy's three core values, along with the Marine Corps, are honor, courage, commitment. 
and the army, three is not enough, apparently. So we have seven army values that make up the acronym for leadership. They are loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. We also have, the DOD has for all branches, the UCMJ actions that can take place. UCMJ being the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And this this UCMJ you know, says, if this action is done, then these are the consequences. But yet and still, we still have people who do what they want, generally because it'll fit that person best. How can I best serve myself? So, with that, if there was a catch-all solution that could fix this, and there's not, that would be nice. That's right. There are uniformed personnel who are prosecuted for violating these ethical standards. While some people suffer the consequences for their actions, they're guilty of the same behavior, yet they avoid the prosecution and punishment. So while there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution for this, if you could, what would you do if you found yourself in a position to fix this problem? Well, I think the person that has the ability to do that is the Secretary of Defense. And so if you made me the Secretary of Defense, the first thing I would fix is holding senior leaders accountable. And that can mean a lot of different things. I'm probably not going to come in as a Secretary of Defense and just fire everybody. But I'm going to take a hard look at what types of leaders we have. And do we have risk adverse conformists or do we have people that are there to win wars? Second thing I'd do is I'd fix the procurement process that has been broken for 50 years, yet nobody seems to be addressing the fundamental problems that are plaguing us. The third thing I'd fix is the education system. The education system, in my opinion, it's better than it was, but it still has a lot, a long way to go in terms of effectiveness. And then there's probably three other things, but you know, I don't want to get into the weeds because quite honestly, those three things, like if you fix those three things right there, you'd have a, a, a much stronger military. So, so your first one is to to jump in, and you, you know you're not going to fire everybody at first. And but let's look at that second thing. So this procurement process, you know, like like you said, it's been broken for like 50 years. What's the problem with this process, and how do you fix it? Well, just to get something from concept to into a service member's hand is like a 20, 30 year process. Mm-hmm. So that's a problem. Number two, we're so beholden on American systems that we limit ourselves. I think there's ways to outsource but still maintain operational security. Three, there's an oligopoly between the large government contracting companies that dictate a lot of what we do. Number four, there are senior officers that take four director jobs in all of these main companies that have the oligopoly. So I would break that up. I would hold people accountable if they're leaving a general officer job and then taking a board director job. And I would make it very clear that that's unethical. Um, so yeah, there's, I mean, there's just a lot of ways. I think also allowing subordinate commanders to open purchase things a lot more would be better. I also think that the use it or lose it into the fiscal quarter is just, I mean, every unit I've ever been in has that. 
you got to get ahead of that. And there's ways in terms of accounting that you can be more efficient with your money. And so, I mean, there's, I mean, I could go, I could just keep going, but like the, the whole budgeting process system, like right now for 22, we, we approved $740 billion. We could probably do the same thing we're doing right now with 500 billion. Like there's probably $240 billion in there. That's just bullshit because we don't have a corporate efficiency mindset when it comes to our money. With these leaders in place that we're talking about who have the power to do something and aren't, especially those who are violating ethics, it seems a bit obvious to us, yet it's not being addressed or taken care of. So you said, I'm going to take care of this. I'm tired of it. I'm going to I'm going to open my mouth and address these issues no matter what the consequences. I mean, leadership and ethics has is completely separate from what played out in Afghanistan. So that's something that has to be vetted, validated, developed well before you get into a position like Afghanistan. So the goal would be within the institution that you're developing this, harnessing this and making sure that this is in place because that's the foundation before you go into something like an Afghanistan withdrawal. But we haven't been doing that. So then when you get into these things like the Afghanistan withdrawal and you need people to have moral courage to say, hey, executive branch, this plan doesn't make sense and we're going to get people killed, but they have the moral courage to stand against it. Yeah, it's, yes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm with you. I feel like if I start to expound on something that I'm just going to go off on a tangent and be like, well, since you mentioned that, let me tell you about this other thing over here. Uh, but yeah, so so let me let me let me ask you uh, is is similar questions get a little bit different to the Marines that are still serving Marines and and other service members from other branches that are still in uniform that feel your frustration and and are like man. That dude's my idol. He stood up. He spoke against these things. I respect him. And what would you tell that guy? What would you tell that Marine that that looked at you and said, "You're my hero. You spoke out." What would you What would you tell him? Because obviously, like you said, like like your like our um, civilian counterparts and other organizations, I can't just say, "Here's my two week notice. I'm done with you." You can't do that in the military. So what would you do to that person still in uniform? What would you say to encourage him as he still continues to serve? I think people need to define their personal values outside of the system. So whatever your personal values are, as long as you can define them prior to conflict, it's easier to know yourself and what's important to you. The problem is people don't define their values. And then when they get into a moment of conflict, what drives their actions is fear, fear of losing their job, fear of disappointing somebody. And when you let fear drive your actions, it may not come from a place of where you think your value should be. So if you take the time to say, I'm going to stand up for fill in the blank, it's much easier in that time of conflict to identify, okay, I'm in this moment of conflict, but I've already identified that this is how I'm going to behave. It's not as scary at that moment. I like that example that you used of learning these leadership lessons prior to being in that position. It reminds me of one of the pilots that I've interviewed on this podcast. 
And I asked the question of how do you grapple with the confirmed kills or whatever the case may be and how she just processes that type of thing. And she said to me, and I, and I love this, that it's something that she had to grapple with prior to even setting foot into the cockpit for the first time. She had to think about it because as a fighter pilot, that's what you're going to be doing. You're going to be firing a particular weapon system depending on what you're flying, and you have to be okay with that. Getting into that cockpit and going on a mission for the first time, not even having thought about that, puts you in a dangerous place after the fact. And and even in that moment. So I think I think that's pretty awesome. Thank you. Let's imagine we have two categories of people listening to this episode of the podcast. People who are currently serving or have served and then those who have raised their right hand to serve, yet they haven't shipped off to boot camp yet. They hear this episode where a Marine Corps lieutenant colonel who served for 17 years take, took a stand on something that they believe in and believe that the branch of service that they were in is to blame for these uh, unethical actions. What do you tell them? I think the United States military is the greatest military in the world. I think the Marine Corps is the greatest service in the military. I'm obviously biased. That being said, we are not without our flaws. What I personally did was just try to make us better. And I think for a young service member, or I'm sorry, a young civilian that is idealistic and wants to join the military, I would submit anything that is important to you is worth fighting for. And nobody is actually going to make the United States military the greatest military in the world by walking away from it. So if you want to make the change, you need to get in there and be active. With 17 years of service under your belt, I imagine after seeing these injustices done, you had to weigh the pros and cons of, do I take it to an outside source to social media? Or do I push through and addressing it through the chain of command? Especially at some point in time, between the first and second videos that you you put out, what did that look like for you as you were weighing, weighing the pros and cons of do I want to go ahead and put this video out or let me wait three more years until I retire? And then be as vocal as I can be. Was there a point in time where you were saying to yourself, you know, I've got 17 years in, maybe I'll just keep my mouth shut for three more years, retire, and then just go full blast? Was that the only time that decision was even possible was after the first video? After the first video, after I was relieved, I had a choice where I could. Just keep my mouth shut after that and then try and write it out. But once I made the second video, there was no turning back. Mm -hmm. So between that first and second video, what? how were you juggling with that? How were you juggling? Well, it was quick. So it was Friday to Sunday. So there was only a Saturday in the middle. And in that Saturday, I just decided that 
exactly what I just said. I didn't want to try and limp three years to retirement. And that what I had said on Friday was important enough that I was willing to go all the way through. To close it out today, I'd like it if you can just kind of go full throttle and just say, you know, close it out with what is your message? What is it that you want people to hear or people to know? Yeah. So as we talked about earlier, Tiff, I think you have to define your values before you get into a a moment of conflict. And for me, my values are tell the truth, be honest, have integrity, have moral courage, do what's right. And it's not complicated stuff. It's stuff we talk about all the time, but yet in these moments, we kind of lose perspective. And like I talked about with all my experience in education, I could just clearly see huge problems that were getting people killed, like literally. And I just got to a place where I felt like there wasn't going to be anyone else to say it. So I said it. My advice to other people would be just that, just define your values, make sure you balance it with what's going on in your life. But at the end of the day, like if it's something that you truly hold dear to yourself and it's that important and worth fighting for, then I think you really need to be introspective and determine if it, if it is that. But yeah, absolutely. I, I would look forward to having the opportunity. Quite honestly, hopefully around then I'll have a book coming out. And so I'll be wanting to go on the tour. So look me up. Heck yeah. I'm going to be like, all right, book tour. I'm going to like be your one man fan or whatever. Well, I appreciate you doing this, man. Good luck. I really appreciate it. Your time. Um, Thank you, Tiff.